Support for this podcast provided by Wisconsin Historical Society Press, proud publishers of Madison in the 60s by Stuart Levitin, an absorbing and evocative account of 10 years that changed the city forever. To order Madison in the 60s and other beautiful books that share our state's centuries-long history and culture in service to the mission of the Wisconsin Historical Society, visit wisconsinhistory.org slash whspress. Madison in the 60s, December 1963. Madison makes civil rights history. In 1963, racial discrimination housing was perfectly legal in Madison, Wisconsin, and very real. Only about 27% of the city's rental units and 12% of the houses for sale were available to non-whites. The city didn't even have a meaningful board or commission working for civil rights. Instead, there was the Mayor's Commission on Human Rights, the MCHR, which the Common Council created in 1952 as a powerless consolation prize for activists after their proposed fair housing ordinance was soundly defeated. In February 1962, attorney Lloyd Barbie, president of the state NAACP and chair of the mayor's commission, released the draft of a tough human rights ordinance banning bias in housing, employment, and public accommodations. But it went nowhere, and Barbie soon moved to Milwaukee to start a successful 16-year lawsuit against segregation in the public schools. He also got elected to the state assembly. In 1963, Marshall Colston, chair of the local NAACP and vice chair of the Mayor's Commission, took up the fight, pressing Mayor Henry Reynolds, a conservative businessman, to move the matter along. Not everyone agreed. Colston and others like him are making a big hullabaloo over a problem that doesn't exist, declared Darwin Schoon, executive vice president of the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Homeowners should be able to sell or not sell to anyone they chose, he said. Even as Schoon championed private property rights, racial unrest simmered on the Near East Side over word that a second black family might move into an area neighborhood. Several months of anonymous threats brought increased police surveillance. City Attorney Edwin Conrad started drafting an ordinance, working closely with a young attorney serving on the mayor's commission future Wisconsin Supreme Court Chief Justice Shirley S. Abrahamson. Both Colston and Abrahamson had been appointed to the commission by the former mayor, liberal Ivan Nestigan. Although the Mayor's Commission on Human Rights was largely toothless, it did have some very active members, especially Chair John McGrath and Secretary Betty McDonald. They created a group they called the Tuesday Night Committee to coordinate public support. Several hundred individuals became actively involved. Such citizen activism was the key. Mayor Reynolds would become an important supporter, but he did not initiate the effort. Neither did any alder. Without the NAACP's Lloyd Barbie and Marshall Colston, the Mayor's Commission on Human Rights, and the Tuesday Night Committee, Madison would not have acted when it did, if it acted at all. The broad base was necessary because the real estate industry, which supported segregated housing so strongly that the Board of Realtors disciplined members who sold houses in white neighborhoods to black buyers, mobilized to fight the local fair housing provision, just as it did the later federal effort. December 10, 1963, was United Nations Human Rights Day. It was not a good night for human rights in Madison. Back then, the Council met as the Committee of the Whole on Tuesdays for public hearings, debate, and a preliminary vote, 
with final votes on Thursday. More than 400 people packed the council chambers that night for a six-hour Committee of the Whole meeting devoted entirely to the Equal Opportunities Ordinance. Supporters far outnumbered opponents, except from the real estate industry. The only realtor there in support was Patrick J. Lucy, owner of Madison's largest real estate company. Negroes here are the victims of a vicious and effective conspiracy, a disgrace for which we must all share the guilt, the future governor and ambassador said. But the official position of the city's realtors, firm opposition, was expressed by Board of Realtors President Earl A. Espeseth, who acknowledged some discrimination but insisted, quote, city people can take care of the problems on a voluntary basis. At the time, Espeseth was a commissioner of the Madison Housing Authority. After all their coordinated organizing, supporters faced an unforeseen problem as the meeting unfolded. A young black activist from the campus chapter of Congress of Racial Equality, CORE, he told the council that even if the measure passed, his group would continue to send whites and blacks to test for compliance. Although Tom Bolden, co-chair of the Mass and Corps chapter, later assured the council that testing would stop if the ordinance passed, Council President Alder Richard Kopp didn't care. I don't think the residents of any ward have to answer to a group of university students under any circumstances, he said. Introduced and strongly supported by conservative Mayor Henry Reynolds, the fair housing measure also had its strongest council support from conservatives, led by alderpersons Ethel Brown, Harrison Garner, and William Bradford Smith. Its sharpest opposition came from aldermen aligned with labor, including COP, railroad switchman Leo Cooper, and union leader Harold Babe Rohr, who called the NAACP, quote, a malicious force, even though his district contained more than 55% of Madison's black population. Let's face it, the Southsider said, the whole world is built on prejudice and discrimination. Northside Alder Cop acknowledged there's some discrimination in Madison, but he asked, should we pass a law just because there are a few bigots? It's the very minimum we can do, Mayor Reynolds replied, so that we can go on record and say that all our citizens are equal as far as the city council is concerned. After almost two hours of debate, the chamber was still packed when the committee voted 12 to 10 to delete the entire housing provision. As the conservative pro-ordinance Wisconsin State Journal noted, five aldermen endorsed by the liberal pro-ordinance Capital Times voted against fair housing. After a motion to kill the entire ordinance failed 13 to 9, the council adjourned at 1.30 in the morning. The setback was bitter but represented some progress from the 14 to 5 defeat, a similar, weaker measure authored by then-alderman Ivan Nestigan suffered in 1952. Fair housing advocates had 42 hours to get at least one vote changed so Mayor Reynolds could break an 11 to 11 tie. It was the council's first and then still only female member, 10th Ward Alder Ethel Brown, who crafted the critical compromise to exempt rooms in private homes and owner-occupied apartment buildings with four or fewer units. Westside Alder William Bradford Smith later said Brown's idea wasn't just tactical, but also, quote, to reflect the attitudes of her constituents in University Heights. Many of them rented rooms to UW students, Smith noted, but, quote, wouldn't want to open their homes to people of all races and colors where they would have to share the same bathroom. 
Brown's amendment was quickly adopted, starting a dizzying display of legislative freestyling that exempted absentee landlord apartments and all single-family homes from coverage. And as a backlash to the core testing activities, the council also adopted the motion by Wilmar area alder George Elder, making it unlawful for anyone without a, quote, bona fide intention to offer or to buy or rent housing, quote, for the sole purpose of securing evidence of a discrimination practice as defined in this ordinance. So no private testing for compliance. As distraught supporters watched the wreckage of exemption after exemption and considered pulling the matter entirely, an unexpected savior appeared. For all the advocates organizing, it took a bewildering move by an opponent to make the measure meaningful. Fair housing foe Bruce Davidson moved to limit exemptions to only owner-occupied buildings, increasing the number of units covered from 6,300 to 15,631. His amendment carried, without debate, 20 to 2. But he still voted against the ordinance. Far East Side Alder George Rieger, who voted no on Tuesday, now voted in favor, creating an 11 to 11 tie that Reynolds broke with an emphatic eye. Madison had made history with adoption of the first fair housing ordinance in the state of Wisconsin. The ordinance made it illegal to refuse to sell, rent, lease, or finance housing based on race, color, creed, or ancestry, with three major exemptions for certain owner-occupied properties, single-family residences, houses with not more than four roomers, and apartment buildings with four or f- units or less. Because the new ordinance still exempted more than 23,000 housing units, about 60% of the city's housing stock, Open housing advocates were restrained in their celebration that night, but privately they were thrilled. Alder Rohr, the fiercest foe of fair housing, thought Thursday night was a smashing success. But Friday brought an uncomfortable understanding of what really happened. Reading the full account of what finally passed, he's aghast. My God, he exclaims, I had no idea what we voted for last night. Two weeks later, Mayor Reynolds appointed the charter members of the Equal Opportunities Commission, including holdover members of the Commission on Human Rights, McGrath, McDonald, and the Reverend James C. Wright. He did not appoint Marshall Colston or Shirley Abrahamson. And that's this week's Madison in the 60s. For your award-winning, listener-supported, history-honoring WORT News Team, I'm Stu Levitan.